you know, as I've told you, that the Altarebbe's life in the last years was very, very optimistic and positive. Altarebbe was mavatal all the Agbalas. There used to be Chadarim. After the Chadarim, there were Takanas Yozne, which were rules governing access of Hasidim to Hasidis. The Liadi years were just years of incredibly generous giving. The Chassidus of the Alter Rebbe was Pashat Meshach Sheikh. He had many, many Chassidim, probably thousands of Chassidim, who were Oiskim Bavoid Al Derech Chabad. It was a very, very successful life. It really was. And the Alter Rebbe's mood was incredibly uplifted. Now, the Alter Rebbe would live 68 years. 68 is the Gematria Chayim. 68 years. Now, you guys, Baruch Hashem, don't have these kinds of problems. But I'm going to mention it anyway. The Cheshman of 68 years assumes the Friyadik Rebbe's uh, year of birth of the Alter Rebbe to Tov 1845, and not later. But Alter Rebbe was supposed to live longer, as many as, as, many as eight years longer. Which means Alter Rebbe should have lived 75 or 76 years. We know this at Kedekach, that we even know who came into this world to complete the years of Alter Rebbe. You understand what that means? There was a, a, a boy who was a tzaddik. He was the, he was the son of the Rebbe Marash. It, it's hard to know, but it seems to me that he was the oldest son of the Rebbe Marash. Although, in the Pinkas of the Chavakadisha, it's mashma that he was born after the Tamil Tzaddik Sestalkos, which is a big tzaddik in God. His name was Harafa Tzaddik and Bavram Sendi. He passed away at the age of eight. And um, you don't say about a child tzaddik. Saiden, he's born in Chathilu without a Nefshah Bahamis. So, Bemel Hatimish Kabrere, right? You don't get that in the Shomitil Bamitzvah. You don't say about a child tzaddik, but him it says tzaddik. He, there's a matzev of him in Lubavitch. He had the Alter Rebbe's neshama. Tzemach tzedek said he had the Alter Rebbe's neshama. And that the eight years that the Alter Rebbe lost, at the end of his life, he took. I think it's even, even the Sefer told to the Marash. That's what it's from the Rabbeim. Now, the reason the Alter Rebbe lost all those years has to do with Napoleon. Napoleon Bonaparte was the emperor of France. And the Alter Rebbe saw him as his opposition. There's a quote from the Alter Rebbe, but this is not in Sikhas, this is from Chesidim. Right? I, I always tell you this. What says in the Phoenix Rebbe Sikhas happened? What says in Pailish Amaisis are nice stories. What says in stories from Chabad Chesidim, but not from the Chabad Rebbeim, could be it happened. Okay? So this is one of those could be it happened. But the Alter Rebbe said when Napoleon came to power, quote, when the Rebbe's Neshama, the Rebbe Nidam Hazachamagid, had to come down onto this world, the Samach Mem came along and said that it's an unfair advantage, it's not fair to give such a big Neshama to the world. And they gave the Yumaze Wilhelm, Kaiser Wilhelm I of Germany, I don't know the details of this, but as they stayed the Maise. Okay. He says, in other words, the Hazachamagid could not be born until you would give him Klippa Tzachik and Neget. He says, Yet this Don Napoleon, the Rebbe said, now there is Napoleon. He didn't spell out that when my Neshama had to come into this world the Klippus opposed until Napoleon was uh, Das yes it's done Napoleon not there's Napoleon quote Dr. Rebbe saw that he has to defeat Napoleon he said I'm afraid I'm going to have to do actual Mercedes Nefesh to defeat Napoleon and that's the story as we have it that Dr. Rebbe was nostalgic at precisely the time the last French soldiers crossed the Russian border back into Western Europe and Dr. Rebbe passed away and again according to many accounts many accounts it was uh, Shalebi Ite he passed away early you should know that idea of passing away early 
by Chabad Rebbe's, you have by the middle Rebbe, also, and by the Rebbe Rashab, as far as I know, those two. But the Alter Rebbe lost, by stays eight years of his life, and like I said to you earlier, he had an Or Or Enik of Avram Sendit, Rav Tzadik, Rav Akad, Rav Sendit, who lived eight years in this world, and by stays this was the last eight years of the Alter Rebbe's life, and Alter Rebbe lost those years in order to defeat Napoleon. So understand what you're dealing with. The last years of Al-Tareb's life were incredibly generous and incredibly rich. We have today printed at least 15 volumes. Somewhere between 15 volumes of Chassidus from that decade alone. Beginning with Tokov Samach Beis, when Al-Tareb moved to Liadi. Tokov Samach Aleph is a strange year because Al-Tareb was in Petabur. But from beginning of Tokov Samach Beis to Tokov Ayin Beis, which is 11 years, we have a gvald with chesidus, a gvald, and they keep finding more, and they keep reprinting them and adding new. It's amazing how much we have chesidus from the Alter Rebbe from that decade. And, it, and he could have had eight more such years. It's, it, you can't even imagine what would have been had the Alter Rebbe lived. But of course, as the Pasuk says, This is what the Ebishter wants. So let me, so to speak, tell you the story of Napoleon. Napoleon was a Democrat, what we would call today a liberal or a progressive. Which meant to say that he believed in Shivyon Shuyot, he believed in equal rights. It, it, the story is really odd. Why? There was a nation called France, and there was a nation called England. And France and England hated each other very, very much. And the, each one would want to eat the other one up alive. They were very competitive. And the Iket was Gaive. The Iket jealous the Iket competition was each one couldn't tolerate the fact that the other one has success. So there was a nation called America. And the nation called America revolted against the British. So what happened when the nation of America revolted against the nation of the British? The French immediately decided they have to help America because their interest was defeating the British. So the French helped America make a revolution. And what did the French get as a schar for their helping America make a revolution? A revolution of their own. The people who spent all the French money helping America defeat Britain, bankrupted the country, and in 18, 1789 there was a revolution. Don't ask, the blood was spilled in the streets of Paris like you've never seen. It was a French revolution. The French revolution was supposed to be like America, a democratic revolution. What did the French get for their French revolution? An emperor. In other words, an even tougher monarch than they killed. This was Napoleon. Napoleon... He was a very interesting character. I mean, one thing Napoleon was, was a genius. He was an incredible mind, inc- an, an amazing military tactician. And from our perspective, he had more than the Kekachas of Tumor. Al-Tarebbe feared him. Al-Tarebbe feared Napoleon. Imagine who Napoleon was, Al-Tarebbe feared him. And he didn't feel, fear him because of his military prowess. He feared him because of his Kekachas of Tumor. That means, as strange as this sounds, Napoleon knew of the Al-Tarebbe and he saw him as his opposition. And Al-Tarebbe knew of Napoleon and saw him as opposition. And there was a war between these two personalities, Lahav Elif Avi Abdullah, on a Ruchni Yisdikah level. Now, I'm not here to tell you the story of Napoleon. He came and he went and he came back. It's a long story. Um, the bottom line is he did not make France democratic at all. They ended up with Nacham Melech, Echet France attacked Russia. Now remember, France, this Napoleon guy had conquered many countries. And he was building an empire in Europe. Building an empire in Europe. Hitler modeled himself after Napoleon. I mean, that's how powerful he was. And the world feared him. Everybody was afraid of him. He conquered many nations. He had a huge army with a great ta- ta- tacticians. So the, everybody hated him. In other words, 
he had no friends in the world because he had, he had done so many terrible things. And um, he attacked Russia. So the beginning of the story is that this is brought in the Sikhs that Tzadikim, the Maila, so the Tzadikim argued over who should win, the French or the Russians. Now the only way to explain this story, now this could have happened Rosh Hashanah Gimel, it could have happened in Gimel, that the Altareba wanted Russia to win, the Polish Tzadikim wanted France to win. Now there's a big mark like it, who the Polish Tzadikim are, but there's a letter from the Rebbe, our Rebbe, Yesh Oyrem Shehoya Hamagid Mikoshnitz, and if the Rebbe has a letter where he says, Yesh Oyrem Magid Mikoshnitz, I am telling you as a matter of fact, it was Hamagid Mikoshnitz, the Koshnitz Hamagid. In the Polish Tzadikim, they tried to say that the Koshnitz Hamagid was actually with the Alta Rebbe, I saw it in a safe of Enkan, the Rebbe holds, that's the fact, that the Koshnitz Hamagid was Alta Rebbe's opponent. And it was Gipaskit in the Bez, Nishal Maila, that whoever would blow Shafer first would win. Now, what was the Machlaikis? Hugus with Pasha. The Alter Rebbe said that if France wins, there'll be a Harvacha of a Yidin for Gashmis. Yidin will do much better physically, materially, Gashmis did. But spiritually, Rachmana Litzland, they'll collapse, they'll assume that'll be a disaster. And therefore, he preferred to be under Kira, Yoram Hoide, under our Kesar, our king. Um, even though he was very anti-Semitic, because they were from the, the, the uh, Russian czars had the Greek Orthodox Church, they were from, and the Goyim were from, and the Goyim are from, and the king is from, so automatically Yidin Fashtetzach and be in a much higher and he took upon himself Yiddish Tzaris that that Yidin should uh, be remain Elchiyim. The Polish Tzadikim said no, let France win. And you don't have good begashmis, and we'll deal with the nasiyness that comes along with that. I once heard from a mashpi of mine many, many years ago who said, "Well, the Polish Tzadikim didn't care if Yidden became fry. No, they held the tzadik of Manasseh Yichya, Al Tikkei Yichya, Al Yichayyeh. They'll keep Yidden from with with the Muna, with the tzadikim." The Rebbe Rashab has a sikhe where he adds a very, very compelling detail that the Alter Rebbe saw it wasn't yet time for Mashiach. But the Machlekes really was the Polish thought Mashiach is coming. If Mashiach is coming now, it's okay if a Democrat wins. The Alter Rebbe saw that it's not yet time for Mashiach, and therefore this would not lead to a positive, it would lead only to a negative, which is why the Alter Rebbe held that Napoleon should lose, and the Polish Tzadikim held that Napoleon should uh, win. There's a quote from the Menachem Mendel of Riminov, who was a famous Polish Tzadik, the Menachem Riminov said, we should walk till our knees in Jewish blood, till our knees in Jewish blood, from Riminov and Kispet, where he was Rav, Abi Mashiach will come, Mashiach will come. In other words, these Sadiqim saw a lot of blood. They didn't see it as easy. But they said, This is it. Mashiach will come, Gulf is going to be over. And again, the Rebbe Rashab said, They had a that the Rebbe saw that it wasn't the time. And mainly he wanted that the Russians should win and not the French. This is a famous, famous Machlaikas. Now, a Polish And this Polish had to happen the Pesach before, which meant six months, Napoleon hadn't even attacked Russia yet. Pesach took a fine base. I don't know how else to explain this story. There was a yid by the name of Naftali Rapshitzer, the great Rebbe of Rapshitz. Naftali Rapshitzer was a Talmud of Rebbe Falkoshitzer, a man who had the Chayyim of of these three tzaddikim who held that Napoleon should win. But this Talmud held the Alter Rebbe. He, I don't know, whatever the explanation is, he held that Napoleon has to lose. So the Alter Rebbe is having a machlekes with his contemporaries. They were not Talmud Yamagid. They were Talmud Talmud Yamagid, but they were the same age. Talmud Rebbe was much younger than Talmud Yamagid, and their Talmud holds Talmud Rebbe. It's the era of Pesach. Rabbi Nachman Mendel of Rimenov is baking matzahs. 
And every time he puts a matzah into the oven, he says, Finna, finna, this is all in Brennan. 500 Russians should burn. 500. So a pound of matzah is about 3,500 Russians, depending on which Russian lady is rolling the dough. It's either 3,500 Russians or 4,000 Russians. And a tzaddik like this, 500 Russians should burn. 500 Russians are going to burn. In other words, he's destroying the Russian army with his matzahs. The Rapshitz Rebbe runs over to the oven, grabs the matzahs, throws them on the floor, and says, Nine Rebbe, Napoleon is timid. No, Rebbe. Napoleon is timid. He's not allowed to win. The Ribna was a makpit. And the kpit of the Ribna of Rebbe meant, you, you know, you buy yourself pajamas, special white pajamas made from linen, and you put on a special hat, and you go in a box, and they, you, you, you stay in one place for a very long time. It's finished. It's a kpit of such a tzaddik, you know. So he walked at a pace of Ribna of the Koshnitz. He came to the Koshnitz of Magid, and the Koshnitz of Magid was in Mikveh. Koshnitz Magid was an old, frail, sick man. According to someone that I know, he was born a sick person. So he would, if a prophet would be a rabbi, push it laying in bed. Because he had no koyach. <clears throat> so he went to the, to the, to the Kochus' bed, climbed to the Kochus' Magid's bed, and went to sleep. And we know from Chumash, from Yankee Vavin, what it means the bed of a tzaddik is the holiest thing in the world. So to sleep in somebody else's bed is not shaykh when he is. So uh, the Kochus' Magid came home from the mikveh, and his bed is occupied. Another bed he wasn't going to sleep in. He says, Naftolche. You gotta get out of bed. I have to lie. I have to lay down. I have to make it out of pesa. I'm not getting out of bed. So they started an argument. The doctor doesn't want to go, and the coach says, "Push it, begging him." They, they were carrying him on a stretcher as it is. I need to get into bed. And the end of the story was that the the doctor said to the coach, "So Margaret, I will get out of bed if you will remove it and mend it even if it's paid." So he had no choice, and he, he, he moved it. Again, according to the Palish version of the story, the Koshans had to agree with the Alter Rebbe that the French should lose, which he didn't want to do, but he needed his nap. It's, it's Alzgetl Chazachim. So he was masking. This happened, must have happened to Pesach before. That Rosh Hashanah, the Alter Rebbe, Lamailot Megipaskin, that whoever blows Shepherd first wins. So the Koshans and Magid got up very, very early. And he dav- went to run to the mikveh. He davened zeh zeh shnel shachlis. He said kriya, and he picked up a kriya shayfet to blow shayfet very very early, very very early in the morning. As soon as he picked up the shayfet, he sighed and he said the litvak cut my The litvak beat me to it. So after that, I got up in the morning or didn't go to sleep the night before. I blew shayfet before davening. Fartik, he went to miftayim, and that's the story. Now, what we know from our sources, the sefer zeh from the base rebbe, and also there's a long letter. From the middle of the it's a very long letter from the middle of the which describes these events in considerable detail. That uh, the French attacked Russia in the summer, and as you know, the French were not defeated by the Russians. The French were defeated by the winter, just like the Nazis were in 1942. Um, it was a very, very cold winter. So I don't know exactly when the French attacked, but it was months earlier the French attacked. And they were making inroads. I think the French actually took Moscow. Now, the difference between Napoleon and Hitler was that Napoleon actually took Moscow. He took Moscow. <coughs> Moscow wasn't the capital then. The capital was Petersburg. Petersburg but he took Moscow. Uh, during the Nazi uh, occupation of Russia, Moscow was the capital. And he came mamish within miles of Moscow, and then it was pushed back. And as soon as they came closer to Liadi, Daltarebbe left. And Daltarebbe said, I do not want to be under the jurisdiction of Napoleon even for an hour. He saw him as a kechatuma. Al-Tarebbe feared him. He never wanted to be underneath him. So, Erev Rishchidosh Elul, Tokufayim Beis, 1812, Al-Tarebbe left Liadi with an army 
of wagons. This is the middle of a war. It says that it was a very, very wealthy chassid who paid all the bills for the entire few months until the Altarebbe's histalkos. And the Altarebbe traveled in a caravan of 60 wagons. 60 wagons means men, women, children, belongings. The Russian government was already aware of the fact that the Altarebbe Pashit was davening for Russia's success. Altarebbe had given instructions that his chassidim should help the Russian army wherever they could. And by the way, the whole Jewish world, the whole Jewish world, sided with Napoleon because Jews suffered so much under the Russians they figured it can't be worse and Napoleon would be better and in places like Vilna you had a preponderance of the predominance of Misnagdim the Vilna Yidin were officially I think Vilna was occupied by Napoleon friends of the French but you couldn't know who was a Chassid who was a Misnagdim the Chassidim in Vilna sided with the Russians and there was a famous Chassid by the name of uh, Meshe Meisels who actually spied for Russia against the French and there are two stories that I know about Ramesh Meisel spying for the Rus- Russians. The first, of course, is the more famous story, that he, he had been in Berlin. The Vilna Gon had sent a lot of his Talmudim to Berlin because he was a bit fooled by the Haskalah. And many of his Talmudim, Nebuch, were in Espakru. They became great scholars, but their emuna and their teda mitzvahs bepoil suffered. Ramesh Meisel had a tremendous amount of Yerash Shemaim Tivis. And he went to Berlin and he stayed away from all of these kinds of issues, and instead he spent his days and nights in libraries, studying and reading books. He was an incredible mind. And he also learned many languages. He became what you would call to a cosmopolitan, a cultural, a worldly kind of person. And uh, one of the things he had was he had a skill in languages. So he spoke Russian and French. So he managed to arrange that he should be a translator for the French. And this gave him access to the highest levels of leadership of the military, even amongst the generals. And he would sit in on their meetings if they needed someone to translate. And he had this cane. I don't know exactly how he did it, but he would carve on this cane little marks. And on that basis, he would make himself notes that he could later recall about the tactics and the directions and the plans of the army. And he would pass them along to the Russians, and he helped the Russians a lot. And of course, the famous story is that once, while sitting in on such a meeting... The generals were talking and the maps were open and suddenly Napoleon walked. And Napoleon was a short guy who always had his hand inside his bosom and he had an incredible charisma about him. There was something uh, superhuman about it, something about him which was uh, very, very powerful and intimidating. And he made a statement, there's a spy in the room. And without hesitating, he walked up to the Meisha Meisels and put his hand on his chest. And the Meisha Meisels' heart was beating normally even though he should have been frantically uh, excited. And therefore, the suspicion that Napoleon had against him was lifted. And Noesha Meisels explained later, when telling over the story, that this was the Allah base of Hasidus, that he was employing the technique of the Alter Rebbe of Meyer Shalt al I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable story. Um, that he had Meyer Shalt al not only in the practical sense, but actually in the physical sense, his brain was able to control his physical heart rate. Now there's a sefer called Sefer Zechenus Chelek Gimel, which has stories in it that presumably were told by the Friedrich Rebbe when he visited America in Tafrich Petas Tafrich Tzadik and printed in the Tagmorgan Journal. And there there's a story how they actually used his espionage, his spying, for the Russian advantage. And the story that's brought there is that he figured out where there were uh, French 
uh, weapons depots. And uh, what they had is two Russian goyim went over there acting as drunks and they got into a fight and started throwing stones at each other. One broke a window in this military uh, weapons depot. And he came back the next day and apologized for being drunk and rowdy and breaking a window when he went and he replaced the window. But instead of replacing it with glass, he replaced it with a magnifying glass, which of course magnified the heat and the uh, gunpowder was ignited and the entire depot went up in smoke. This is a story which is brought in this Sefer HaZachar as an example of a practical benefit that the Russians had from the intervention of the Alter Rebbe's Chassid who spied against the French for the Russians. And I'm sure there's many more stories, but this is what I know about that uh, involvement. So the Russian government provided the Alter Rebbe with, an, with a military guard this military guard served the purpose of giving them clearance and passage through war zones, through difficult places. Now the Al-Tarebbe was able to go wherever he wanted. One of the most important parts of this story of the Al-Tarebbe's escape is that the Al-Tarebbe escaped at the very, very last minute. And um, he ran away from Liadi directly ahead of the French army. And after leaving the city and crossing a river, he realized that he had left behind a pair of slippers. And he quickly rushed back himself to go and find those slippers. And he ran up into an attic and took the discarded slippers with him. And then right before he left, he commanded the locals to put his house on fire, which they did. And then he left. And the Rebbe once said, that the Al-Trebbe was leaving one edge of the city, the first French soldiers were arriving at the opposite edge. And the uh, French army came to the Altarebbe's house and they saw that it was on fire and they had direct instructions from Napoleon to see if they can get a hold of any of the Altarebbe's personal belongings. And when they saw the house was on fire, they forced the entire community to make a water line and try to put the fire out before the entire house would be burned to the ground. And the fire was far too hot and the house burned to the ground. When the French occupied the city, Napoleon had his soldiers announce that anybody who would bring to him anything that had belonged to the Altarebbe quote, Vetment Sol and Rendlach, will pay, pay in gold, which is, of course, the only real valuable currency in wartime, which indicates that Napoleon also appreciated this fact that the al was his opponent and that they were spiritually uh, competition, if you will, and that um, it was a very, very important to Napoleon to get a hold of anything that belonged to the al with the understanding that if he can get a hold of any of the Al-Tarebbe's belongings, um, somehow he'll be able to harm him. Uh, fortunately, nobody gave any of the Al-Tarebbe's belongings to Napoleon, and that's how that story ended. And he ran deep, deeper into Russia, and he kept staying ahead of the front. And the front was moving fast. In other words, the French advance was incredible. The French advance was very, very, very fast at that point. And uh, they ran away from the French. The Mithra Rebbe writes, he writes actually in one place that in route, as they were traveling, a little boy was born to him. And I think they made him a bris. And then a little time later, he passed away with him. I think the Mithra Rebbe writes such a story. But there's a long letter from the Mithra Rebbe where he recounts uh, the events of that. He wrote, he wrote to the same of Mesha Meisels. It's a very, very long letter. It came in Rosh Hashanah time. And al Rebbe was incredibly bitter, incredibly forbidden. The Mithra Rebbe says, the bitterness of my father was intolerable. He was so forbidden. 
And for a Meshach's Manadav, for a day or two or three, I don't know how long it was, Al-Tareba was completely, completely consumed with pain and bitterness and sorrow about the events. And then finally he said, I think he said they're going to come till Moscow, but the French are going to have Mapolo. And if I say it was around the Rosh Hashanah time, and maybe it's connected to the Shoifer story, I don't know. The middle of the day after Yom Kippur, we look out our window, and we see the Russian army in retreat, but not organized retreat. You know, one of the most important things that an army has to learn how to do is to retreat in an orderly fashion. Right? When you leave a position, when you go away from a position, if you run away, you're finished. They just chase you and shoot you in the back. You have to retreat in an orderly fashion. So you take up a new position, you take up a new line. That's how it's done. And, but they were running like, 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 uh, like wild animals. They were running like Mushagayim. In other words, it was a rout. And the middle of looks out the window and he sees this, which means, you know, it looks like the French can overrun all of Russia. And he turns to the Altareb and says, look what's going on. You said that the French are going to lose. They're, the Russians are running like, 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 Nisa. Uh, they're running away for their lives. It, it looks like a rout. And the Alter Rebbe said to the middle Rebbe, I remember the Rebbe telling this story in Tafshin and Beis. Vu is Dainabuna. Where is your faith? I said that the Russians would win and the French would lose. The Russians are going to win and the, and the, the, Russians are going to win, the French are going to lose. Anyway, the Alter Rebbe, of course, stayed ahead of the front and he kept going deeper and deeper into Russia. One of the more painful stories is the following story. The Alter Rebbe had a grandson, the middle Rebbe's older son, whose name was Reb I believe his name was Menachem Nochem, and I think he was named after the Chernobylish. The first wagon had Russian officer. The second wagon had, if I recall correctly, the Menachem sat in the second wagon with the Tzemach Tzedek. The Alter Rebbe sat in the third wagon. I think that's how it was. Could be the Alter Rebbe was in the second wagon, but Reb Nochem was supposed to be the person to tell the Russian guard where to go. The Seder was, when it would come to a crossroads, the Alter Rebbe would either get out of the wagon, walk over to the crossroads, be misbeinen, he would de- go into Advekas over his cane, and then he would say, go right and go left, or go left. Sometimes he would remain sitting in the wagon, he would say to go right and to go left. On one occasion, they came to a certain crossroads, and Alter Rebbe did not get out of the wagon, and they asked him, so which way should we go? And Alter Rebbe indicated to go in a certain direction, Reb Nocham misunderstood the signal, and they went in the opposite direction. After Amesha's man, the Al-Tarebi says, so when are we going to get to such and such a city? And they realized they were on the wrong road. So Reb Nochem felt terrible. And he says to Al-Tarebi, we'll go back, we'll retrace our steps. Al-Tarebi says, no, now it's too late. And Al-Tarebi cried, he sighed and he said, Voiliz, as the Einiklach game with the Zaydefir, how fortunate is it when the grandchildren go with the grandfather leave? When Och is, how terrible it is, as the Zayda gate with the Einiklach feeling, that the grandfather goes with the grandchildren lead. And some people say that this story also can be a basis for the Histalkus, even with the because he had to sit in a cold wagon and so on. Reb Nochem, who lived a very long time at Big Arichis, spent many, many years by the Oyalim as a, as a senior Yid. So most of the time he was by the Tzian of his grand, of his father, the Mittler Rebbe. In the middle, he left the Tzian of his father, the Middle Rebbe, and he went to the Tzian of the Rebbe in Hadith, and he spent seven years there. And the reason he spent seven years in Hadith is because he had to be misakin two things. He had to fix two things. One of them was this Maise that I just told you with Napoleon, that the Rebbe had misled the Rebbe, and then the Rebbe passed away. So he was misakin. He used to say, Ich bam I'm, I'm, I'm my father, grandfather's payroll. And the second thing, which I'll tell you, Derech Agav is a Mamish Afayadik Maise. That when Abnachem got married, they used to get married at 1415. When Abnachem got married, they made him a new outfit. They made him a surtuk. 
And the Altarebbe called him, so they got a tailor. It was a beautiful thing. Altarebbe called him, and Altarebbe asked him whether they're going to make him an outfit according to the new model of the old model, the new model of the, the new dress of the old dress. So he told the Altarebbe, uh, of course, the new, I want to look young and happening. And Altarebbe said, I would like you to do it according to the old mother, the old, without collars. The issue was collars and lapels. And then Altarebbe said, I don't want. And Altarebbe Pashat engaged him in an argument about it. Until finally the Altarebbe said to him, What if I offer you iti imi bimchitzas? That if you'll agree to go to your chuppah with the old dress, I promise you you'll be with me in Ganei. Which is a phenomenal brach. You know how phenomenal it is? The Altarebbe told his chassidim that after he passes away, they will not find the doorknob to his door in Ganei. So if the Altarebbe offers his grandson, who was a bochet of 15, 16 years old, he'll be iti imi bimchitzasi, for not wearing lapels there is chuppah. Sounds like a deal. But Reb Nocham was not a Deir Ashvinik, he was Deir Ishinik. So he says to the Alter Rebbe, do I have to do it because I want to, or is it enough to do it because you want me to do it? And the Alter Rebbe said, Chabad Mont Pnimius. It only works if you do it because you want to. And Reb Nocham says, I don't want. And he went to his chuppah with the new mother, and he obviously regretted it. So as an old chassid, he spent years with the Alter Rebbe being in these two stories that I just told you. The Rebbe once in a sikh in the early years explained why is Al-Tarebbe offering him iti imi bimchitosi for a lapel. It doesn't make sense. So the Rebbe said that there was a klipa of, there was a klipa of lavush. At that time a new klipa was entering into the world of fashion. And when a klipa makes its appearance in the world, it'll take forever to go away. It could take a hundred years, two hundred years. But there's one eighth. If you can kill the klipa before it has a chance to develop. But how do you kill a klipa before it has a chance to develop? You have to find somebody who the klipa affects and be mevatel the klipa before the klipa gets a chance. So Altarebbe came to his anical who cared about his dress, how he looked. And through him, if the Altarebbe's anical had be'emes ongefif and said, you know what, I don't care. He would have killed the klipa before the klipa started. And apparently, he was not able to do Altarebbe. So the Rebbe told the story and explained the lesson. And then he said, now there's a new klipa. The Rebbe said publicly for it, that's a new klipa. It's the klipa of tachlis. Tachlis means what's going to become of you, what's going to become of you. Becoming of you means how are you going to be a mensch. Of course, how are you going to be a mensch means how are you going to make money, but it's not about money. It's, you know, the Rebbe said you go to college, you become a PhD, and then you shine shoes for a living. It's a status. Vos bistu, kach kach. So the Rebbe says, now there's a klipa of tachlis, and we have to kill it, which means we need to have younger light, young people who are in a spall from this world, who should sit and learn Teda on Cheshboynes to be mevatel this klipa. And the Rebbe Poshet announced that he's raising money to support people to sit and learn without Cheshboynes to defeat this klipa. It was a very, very unusual example of the Rebbe Poshet saying befedish what was going on in Lamayla. And I assume the reason the Rebbe was able to say it so befedish is because in those years the Rebbe had such a hard time getting people to listen to him. He was able to be so be his galas. No, so I, if you look at the world today, I think you would agree that the Rebbe was successful. <laughs> because people want to make money. But nobody defines themselves as a college-educated person. That's not a, a big thing anymore. But okay, this is just a Maimir Amuzki. So getting back to Al-Tarebbe, Al-Tarebbe ran away. And he ran deeper and deeper into Russia. We know from this letter that the Middle Rebbe wrote, Middle Rebbe wrote a letter after Al-Tarebbe passed away, that Al-Tarebbe hated Napoleon. He called him... Said, it's impossible to hate anything more than I hate Napoleon. Because he saw him as the very essence of Klippa. In this letter, the Al-Tarebbe describes him 
He says he goes around saying he's a Democrat and he's a liberal. But his greatest delight in the world is spilling blood. He's a, he's a person who loves to see people die. He's, his pleasure is a tich. He's a Russia. When you read how the Altarebbe describes Napoleon, he sounds exactly like Hitler. The problem is he didn't portray himself as Hitler. He portrayed himself as a nice guy, as a Democrat. The Altarebbe upon him at Fashtanen, that if this Napoleon was going to win, safe, call safe, he would be spilling tons and tons of blood. Even the Polish who opposed the Altarebbe, also understood. They said, Jewish blood should spill, Abi Napoleon should win. Mashiach should come. The Altarebbe kept running away from the winter. And he ended up in a small village called Piena. And he lived the end of his life there. I think 13 days. Piena didn't have a single Jew in it. And the guy who owned the house had two big dogs that were trained to attack a Jew. When Al-Tarebbe stopped in front of this guy's house, the dogs, instead of attacking them, sat down like two puppies. The owner of the house, who was an anti-Semite, saw this. He was very, very moved. And he opened up his house to Al-Tarebbe's entire entourage. Al-Tarebbe lived in that house until his house. The passed away, Matzah Shabbos Kedish Pasha Shmeis. Five days earlier, his gallbladder burst. And Al-Tarebbe was an enormous Yisudim. Gefelecha, Gefelecha, Yisudim. And from these Yisudim, he passed away. Al-Tarebbe was only 68. He was in pretty good health. But the stress, the tzadis, the winter, and of course, the Ruchni Yisdeke in Yonim, brought about Al-Tarebbe's histalkis. Um, there's a kama of a kama vertif about that tchufa. For example, Al-Tarebbe called in the Tzemach Tzedek days before he passed away and said to him, Mendel, do you have questions in halacha that you need to be mevadeh? And the Tzemach Tzedek said he didn't. And then after that, Al-Tarebbe's Talkus, the Tzemach Tzedek understood that Al-Tarebbe was talking about a shayla of his oldest son. The Tzemach Tzedek's Bukhar, who was our Rebbe's Zayde Zayde, didn't have a left hand. His arm ended in a stump. He had no fingers, no hand. And it becomes a big shayla of Aranach Tzfum. And there's several long chuvahs about this shayla. What do you do if you have a left hand? So the Tzemach said, this is what the Alt-Rebbe meant when he asked him, do you have any shahs aloha to be mevadeh? And he said, no, the Alt-Rebbe was mechavan to this question uh, uh, of uh, his son's tzum. Another famous vart is that at one point, the Alt-Rebbe said to the Tzemach Tzedek, Mendel, what do you see? And the Tzemach Tzedek said, I see the beams. The roof was unfinished. You see the rafters. And the Alt-Rebbe said, I no longer see beams. I see the Dvaravai, which is Mechavim Mechayim Mechayim. Tzadikim, 72 hours before the Estalkos, they no longer see Gashmis, they see only Alakus. And there's a very similar story with the Alter Rebbe and the Mazichir Magid. But the Alter Rebbe said he doesn't see Gashmis, he sees the Alakus. Motsa Shabbos Kedish, he had time to say Havdallah on wine and he drank it. That kos was never rinsed out. And the Beis Harab, they used to put that cup on the Seder Pesach with the Shiyuri Yayin. By mistake once, somebody rinsed it out and then many, many years later it disappeared. But then for many, many years in the Beis Harab, on the Pesach Seder, they would put down the silver nebeche with the shiurei kos from the yayin that the Al-Tarebbe made Abdullah on hour before he passed away. The Al-Tarebbe passed away 10.30. In Tavshach of Dalad, which is the 150th anniversary of the Al-Tarebbe's Talakos, the Rebbe came into Chabrini at 10.37. From Chassidim Ongenom, that's the bediyak, the precise moment of the Talakos Al-Tarebbe, was 10.37. There was no Pesach Hayim in, in Piena. So that night, they moved him from Piena to Hadash. So three people went along. The Tzemach Tzedek, Reb Nochem, the Tzemach Tzedek's oldest son, Nabarach Sholem, was about eight or nine years old. Our Rebbe, Zayde Zayde, who was a Godel Chebek Deilu, was a very, very big person. Even as a child, he was a Godel. He was very close to the Alter Rebbe. It says in some Sikhs that his whole life there was a sadness about him because he never got over the Ptira of his elder Zayde of the Alter Rebbe. And they took him from Piana to Hadich and they buried him in Hadich. Shaman Uchasei Kavad. And there's a big oil. 
in route they stopped up in a hotel in a, in a catchment it was freezing freezing cold so one stayed outside and two went in to warm up and they took turns so the Goyim saw this so they figured this must be treasure why else are you keeping somebody outside if it's a badmina and it's a casket with the remains of a person who's passed away the idea that you have to have shmire they didn't know the idea that's Alter Rebbe so they decided that they're going to tie him up and kill him if need be and take the treasure <laughs> but they should go home and all the goyim got very shiget they fell asleep and they were able to leave unscathed one thing that happened while two of them were inside and I think Ravash was outside a chazet came along and started to be mechater he started to dig under the sled Alter Rebbe was on a sled and Alter Rebbe's goof kaddish rose up and it was suspended in the air like you have by Lovon and Yankiv Avinu and I'm sorry, and the Yezid. Amen. Allah Gamalim. Allah Oyen. Al Trebbe's Guf Kaddish rose up. And when the Chazer went away, they came back down. Okay, we'll have to continue the story with many more Protestants from next time.